Welcome to Force Points to the Point Cybersecurity Podcast. Each week, join Eric Trexler and Erica Pierce to explore the latest in government cybersecurity news and trending topics. Always covered in 15 minutes or less. Now, let's get to the point. Welcome to To The Point. This week, Erica's on travel. She will not be with us. We're going to do a two-part episode with Roger Bache, Chief Operating Officer of Force Point Federal LLC. And we're going to talk a little bit about CUI, Controlled Unclassified Information, and the new CMMC, Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification. Welcome to the show, Roger. Good morning, Eric. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know this uh, topic is uh, of interest to many, so I look forward to uh, a robust discussion. It absolutely is. It's in fact, I get so many questions about it, and, and it's not even, you know, it's not even uh, something that we we can sell to help people. Uh, but we, we get there's so much talk about CMMC right now. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about yourself, or tell our listeners about yourself. What's your background? How did you get to the role you're in, and and where have you spent your career? Well, um, a kid from the South Bronx, and uh, I enlisted in the Navy uh, right after my 18th birthday and uh, was a, a CT, a cryptologic technician, and went to school at night and earned uh, uh, an associate's and was a, um, I was accepted into the enlisted commissioning program in the Navy and subsequently became a cryptologist in the Navy, 22 years in the Navy, and uh, retired in 1997, and I transitioned to industry. And I've been with Raytheon or a Raytheon subsidiary. Uh, I was the president of Raytheon Oakley Systems and the uh, COO of Raytheon Cyber Products. And that transitioned into what is the government business of Forcepoint today. So it's been a, a, a long and exciting road and really thrilled that I'm here at Forcepoint today. So 22 years in the Navy, enlisted. You went to uh, what we called in the Army green to gold, but really enlisted to officer. You were a Mustang, essentially. Right. Right. Cryptological officer your whole career? Crypto, yeah. Well, yeah, in cryptology my entire career, but enlisted and officer, right. I bet you saw some stuff. I know you were on carriers, too. I, battleship. Served on uh, Battleship Iowa uh, in, uh, back in the late 80s and uh, served uh, in a number of positions uh, around the world during my uh, 22 years. And I really served in uh, during the Cold War, so the... Uh, end of the Cold War during my watch. So that was a, that was exciting. So you you were fighting Russia back in the day or preparing for a fight right. with Russia, I should say. You've seen in your in your commercial world, commercial time, which is almost 22 years to, uh, also, I believe, you've seen, you, you know, the advent of China, the moving China moving up in the nation state activity. You've seen the wars, uh, the terrorism wars in the Mideast. Seems like now we're going a little bit back to Russia and China. Right. Right. I think the, the, the threat um, is still there. It's, uh, it's, it's more ubiquitous than it ever has been before, particularly when we talk about cybersecurity, because now we have uh, other nation state players, organized crime and a myriad of other um, interests that um, can do a lot of harm from a cybersecurity standpoint. So the threat is pervasive. And I think that is a good segue into discussing why the government is doing some of the things it's doing as related to improving the cybersecurity posture of not only the Department of Defense, but also of the defense uh, uh, industrial base, the DIP, because that has been, frankly, the weakest link uh, over the past 10 years. Of, at least that's the perspective of many. 
So during the Cold War, the primary threat was nuclear, correct? Correct. I mean, the, the major threat. Yeah. Obviously, we had a lot of other threats out there, but it was primarily nuclear. What do you see in the, you know, over your history, your 44 years or so of history, how do you see the threat evolving? I mean, we talk about cyber all the time right now. Right. We didn't talk about that in the 80s. Right. Well, I think, you know, we went, we went from the tr traditional threats, the major nation state actors to a more asymmetric environment. And I, th I think now we're starting to see maybe a return to some what people describe as a near peer type of conflict. Whereas the last 10 years or so, we've been dealing with the you know global war on terror and dealing with uh, actors who were not traditional from a nation state standpoint, but were a, a large threat to us nonetheless. Uh, your New York accent came out on terror. I love it. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and when you say near peer, I almost feel with cybersecurity, it's it's easier. It's more cost effective to be a near peer. Well, absolutely. And on the kinetic side, it's easier to steal information than it was back in the in the old days. Both right. you can steal from your home country, but it's easier to exfil larger amounts of data. So on the kinetic side, on the equipment side, you can actually take intellectual property, blueprints, whatever it may be, and create weapons of, uh, you know, machinery, if you right. will. Well, with the proliferation of the internet and a massive amount of data that's available today, uh, it's an opportunity-rich environment for many actors, including non-traditional non actors. Uh, so I think the threat is pervasive and ubiquitous, as we just, I mentioned earlier. In your, in your experience, how has the environment changed from a, um, you know, what we're trying to steal, how we're trying to protect information. Let's talk intellectual property. Let's say aircraft uh, design plans or something like that. How did we try to protect it in the past versus now? Well, it was, a lot of that wasn't online. It was, it was stovepiped. Um, the, the great thing about the internet, you know, the uh, proliferation of technology that allows information to be uh, disseminated very quickly and and widely, uh, that that technology didn't exist in the past. And that, although that's a great strength, it's also a great risk, right? Uh, because now that information can be accessed by other actors, which historically they, they wouldn't have been able to do just by the limitations of the communications available, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I was reading an article this weekend about the, uh, the Chinese flying wing, something similar to the B-2, B-21, um, bomber that we have and how, how similar they are yeah. makes you wonder where that information came from. Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any, any question that a, a lot of our, uh, intellectual property throughout the United States has been vulnerable and, and has been hacked. And, uh, it continues to be a, a major issue uh, for, for industry, but certainly for the, the department of defense and the U S government. The Department of Defense has been making a lot of moves in this area, specifically, which we're here to talk about today, the Cybersecurity Maturity Model Certification, the CMMC. I know it's very controversial. I'm not going to ask you for, you know, what we're doing internally or anything. But, you know, when, when you read the press, Katie Arrington and her team are pushing really hard to get these requirements out there. The document, the, the version .6 draft came out a couple weeks ago in November. It's almost 100 pages, maybe a little more long. What are your thoughts on it? Well, I mean, it's understandable. I mean, if you, if you look at um, the, 
the past several years, uh, really go back to 2017, the, the uh, DOD has been held to a higher standard from a cybersecurity standpoint. And I think the the feeling is that industry has, has not essentially complied, certainly with the NIST 800-171 standards. And Which are? Th- th- those are the standard uh, the, uh, standard cybersecurity uh, framework that is, is recognized as basically uh, the, a playbook for industry and really for any organization to maintain a certain level of cyber cybersecurity maturity. Okay. So um, I think... Uh, there's frustration in, in the government, and I think the the ongoing uh, identified weaknesses in the, the Department of Defense supply chain has, has really pushed the government, the DOD particularly, into mandating this, uh, you know, cybersecurity maturity model certification, which really it's intended to serve as a verification mechanism to ensure appropriate levels of cybersecurity practices and processes are in place to ensure basic cyber hygiene, as well as protecting unclassified but controlled information, CUI, that resides on the DIPS networks. CUI is a term I started hearing about maybe three or four years ago, and it it seems to be really important, yet intangible almost. Like, what is CUI? I mean, how do we define it? Well, it's, it's... all of the information that it's not classified, it's unclassified, but it's sensitive. I think many are familiar with FOUO for official use only. FOUO is included in this broader categorization of unclassified but sensitive information. This could be um, ITAR-related information that's not classified but sensitive. Um, Other um, information related to uh, architecture, plans, uh, travel information. And and the thing about CUI is often the aggregation of that information that makes it sensitive. And and this information resides on uh, the the networks of uh, a lot of defense contractors. And particularly uh, the concern is the the smaller uh, subcontractors that um, are um, not in a position to protect this information adequately. And I think what we've seen historically is that uh, the target uh, of of the nation states and other actors that are looking to exploit that information, the target is the the smaller subcontractors that do not have the maturity in place to protect that information. I keep reading about that. I read about it. I hear about it. I've got to tell you, when I meet with with a large FSI or when I meet with our customers in the large FSIs, they talk about the hundreds of thousands of attacks they sustain every day. I, I personally think the attacks are hitting everybody. And there are differences. I'm not going to say the small the small subs are less attacked. I'm not going to say they're, they're easier. They probably are easier to attack. But even with the large organizations, I mean, the, the footprint is so expansive. It's got to be incredibly difficult to protect an an organization. Yeah, I I I don't think anyone would disagree with you. Um, But I, I, nonetheless, I believe the government feels that unless you implement a framework and come up with standards, uh, it's it's going to be impossible to implement an architecture going forward that is going to adequately protect our our, our valuable unclassified but sensitive information. How have you as a a COO, and I don't want specifics here, Roger, but how have we up to this point protected 
critical information. I mean, I, I know like, like a quote could be or a bill of materials could be considered CUI, right? Yep, absolutely. How, do, how have you in your career seen that protected to this point, pre-CMMC and, and really standardizing and formalizing what we're going to do? Well, I think largely through segmentation of networks and access control. I, I, again, if you have a, a network that's not connected to the Internet or the, a network that the only folks on that ne- network are U.S. personnel only, uh, it makes it easier it's when you're in a, a interconnected, you know, environment where you're also having to work with subcontractors who are outside of your traditional framework. Obviously, you, you don't necessarily know what type of infrastructure they have in place and how that information is being disseminated beyond your enterprise. And what have you seen, you know, over your your time in commercial industry? Have we grown the number of second and third tier subs? The the connectedness. Of the, of the DIB, or is it is it less connected today as we've seen consolidation? No, I, I, I think it's more connected than ever. Um, I, I, you know, in the past, uh, at least I can't speak for others, but uh, I had subcontractors, but most of that uh, information it was done via the mail, even at times. They didn't have a, the network infrastructure in place. So I think we're, it's in, it's it's the nature of our uh, you know environment in 2020. Uh, most things are connected. Most entities are connected, and I don't see any way of going back. Yeah, I agree. So we've had we have CUI, which has been out for a while. That's really DoD focused. We have CMMC, which are the new certification standards, if you will, coming out. I think version one of the draft or, or the one of the releases due in January of January. 20. Correct. What's the difference between CUI and CMMC? Recognizing one's a certification, maybe I'm answering my own question, right? Exactly. CUI is just a, a, a designation of information that is considered controlled but unclassified. CMCC is is a framework being in place, put in place to you know actually ensure there are actual technical controls that um, you know allow for documentation of policies and so on. Uh, these, there will be evaluations done under CMMC that will lead to certifications from level one through five. Okay. One being the lowest, five being the highest. And obviously, the higher your company certifies, the more contracts you will be able to bid on. Okay. Okay. But who, so who, take CUI for a second. What I want to do, I think, is turn this into a two-part episode. Okay. I get so many questions on this. So let's take CUI. Who determines whether something is CUI or not? Well, traditionally, it's the originating authority. It's usually the government. And they mark it? Uh, it should be marked, but I've not never seen a single document well, mark CUI. F, no, Actually, I take marked. that back. I've seen a couple. Yeah, I think that's changing. I okay. Mean, and I think you've seen FOUO. Which, I've definitely seen FOUO. Well, which qualifies as CUI. Okay. Uh, and then I think there are other markings like ITAR information that, you know, de facto uh, it would be considered CUI. So FOUO, ITAR, and the like, th- those seem easy to me. Those seem easy, and I think there are other areas where maybe it's less uh, clear, but I think as time goes on, uh, there's going to be more um, uh, specificity in what gets marked, and I think it'll become clearer to individuals uh, who have to deal with this information. I think that would be great because, you know, the average average inside salesperson who's dealing with bill of materials, quoting, potentially project plans, they're talking to the government, 
you know, they're 25, 27 years of age, maybe they don't know how to classify something. They haven't gone through. I know you and I have on, on the classified side of the, of the world, we've gone through very specific training on classifying documentation for, for, uh, DOD classifications, right? Right. Confidential, secret, top secret, et cetera, et cetera. The average person though, hasn't done that. Right. Yet they're dealing with potentially we're dealing with CUI. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> contracts that uh, companies receive, I think there'll be uh, clarity, uh, hopefully more clarity on what is CUI, and that should be outlined in the contract itself. I mean, we tend to think of classification guides that are promulgated as part of a contract, um, you know, addressing the classified information. But there, there, I would hope that there would be information also discussing what is CUI. They, in fact, the contract might say that all information related to this contract is CUI. And, and obviously, okay. sensitive work. You, you, if, you're, if you have a program where you're doing classified work, there will be certain unclassified information that perhaps could be considered all CUI. I would expect so. Okay, so what I'd love to do, we try to keep these to the point, but there's a lot of information here. If you're good, I'd love to take a break and pick up next week with a part two. Absolutely. And really delve into uh, CMMC and what that brings to the table and what that means for a business out there, what it means for the government. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate your time this week, Roger. Thank you so much. To our listeners out there, tune in, subscribe, please, on the podcasting application of your choice. Give us your feedback. We love the feedback. Any questions, concerns, ideas, send them our way. And um, like I said, subscribe and, and rate us. Tell us what you like. Tell us what you want to hear more of. Thanks. And until the next week, have a great week. This is To The Point. Thanks for joining us on the To The Point Cybersecurity Podcast, brought to you by Forcepoint. For more information and show notes from today's episode, please visit www.forcepoint.com slash govpodcast. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Google Play Store 